Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Electrifying AI and our final episode of season two. Our mission is to provide a venue for clean energy enthusiasts to gain up-to-date insights on the latest developments taking shape in the electricity sector. Along the way, we'll help demystify the connection between the greatest machine ever built, the electric grid, and the greatest enabler of our, the greatest enabler of our time, data analytics. To help us do that, we've had a series of special guests this season who hold a variety of different roles throughout the electricity industry. For today's finale, we're excited to welcome someone who has a front row seat for the ongoing energy transformation and someone who has a direct hand in navigating tens of thousands of customers through the changing electricity landscape. Peter Mohoro is the Vice President for Strategy and Technology at Rappahannock Electric Cooperative. REC is a member-owned utility that provides electric service to almost 170,000 connections in portions of 22 Virginia counties. And as for Peter, he has more than 15 years of experience in the energy industry, including roles at the National Rural Electric Cooperative Association and leadership positions at co-ops in Texas and Virginia in the United States. So he's well positioned to give us a unique perspective on what is happening in the industry. Peter, welcome to Electrifying AI. Thank you. I'm looking forward to this and uh, thank you for the conversation. I think it's really exciting to see where our industry has come and where our industry is headed. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. Perfect. And I should also point out that, Peter, you're also a board member for SEPA, the Smart Electric Power Alliance. And uh, SEPA's CEO, Julia Hamm, was a guest on episode two of this season. So if you haven't checked that out, uh, um, guests, uh, please uh, check it out and um, find it after we talk with Peter. And because, Peter, you said you want to rack up more views on your episode uh, than Julia did. So we had to drop that in there. Um, and I hope so, that yeah. everyone who watches votes mine better than Julia's so I can just have fun <laughs> with her. There you go. We'll uh, we'll push for that. Um, so, Peter, I always think it's interesting to hear how folks find their way into the electricity industry. How did it happen for you and why have you focused your career and your insights in the cooperative space? Uh, great. So um, I, the, the, the big changing part for me was uh, uh, working through graduate school and, uh, and, I, and I've always been entrepreneurial, but I was uh, in a PhD program in applied physics and um, realized being in a lab was not my thing. Um, I love lasers. <laughs> I love experiments and everything else, but I knew it was time to uh, pivot to something more interesting. So I uh, uh, transitioned my PhD studies into looking at energy and energy issues. And specifically, I was looking at how do you uh, model energy systems when you look at places that are not the traditional electric grid. And so mm -hmm. essentially places that are completely off grid, um, not connected. Uh, it, when you look at, you know, the over billion plus uh, in the world who do not have access to uh, electricity and many more who did not have access to reliable electricity. Um, that's really be became a focus for me. But I also wanted to add on the layer of how does that um, impact economic growth? And so uh, that's really what drove me into looking at uh, the uh, electric system and looking at the electric grid. 
Um, and, and by the time I concluded my studies, a lot of what I was writing on was um, consumer-owned systems. Um, we've done a great job, and especially in the United States in the early 30s, beginning to build out what our electric grid looks like. And that was a big drive to electrify rural America, places that were not electrified. While the urban cities were, um, it was in the initiation of the Rural Electrification Agency and the, um, uh, in the 1930s, uh, mid-1930s, um, and, and helping electric co-ops by taking member uh, consumer members to really drive that force of electrifying um, rural America. And so I began looking at that as an option for places that are not electrified, but not in the traditional sense of, you know, generation, transmission, distribution, and consumption, but maybe from a sense of a prosumer perspective where it could both be a generator and a consumer as well, and, and how that collectively in a smaller scale. So it's taking what our large grid looks like and looking at it more on a fractal perspective, if we could look at it that way, and 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 helping to drive that from that small scale and 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 making it more consumer-owned. So uh, that was my introduction to electric cooperatives. And then I began to realize it was a model that um, is probably the most innovative, most effective. Uh, the drivers are not shareholders. So my driving mm-hmm, forces mm-hmm. provide the best service that I can at the lowest cost. And 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 my uh, consumers are my owners of the electric co-op. And that model to me was exciting because it allowed for innovation, it allowed for creativity, and it allowed for flexibility in looking at um, what an energy system could look like. And so years later, I've spent... I pivoted to spending more time in the United States and not globally as I did before uh, and and spend the last decade or so working with and for electric cooperatives to help us move into the next transition of what our electric grid looks like, still maintaining the foundation of the early days in the 1930s um, that electric co-ops served, uh, began to electrify rural America. And just from a Mm -hmm. statistic standpoint, some of what might help is uh, for the listeners is uh, electric co-ops cover about uh, nearly 60% of the land mass in the United States, especially wow. when you look at the middle of the country, um, um, it, it's primarily served by electric cooperatives, 42 million miles of uh, of, of line that, that, that powers electric cooperatives, uh, that, that electric cooperatives power throughout the United States. So a huge, huge, um, uh, 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 perspective. I'm sorry. It's I, I meant to say uh, 42 million served in in 48 states, and I believe it's um, somewhere in the order of 2.4 million miles that are powered by electric cooperatives in the U.S. So huge area uh, and a lot of innovation and creativity that could happen. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. That's a that's a massive, massive uh, span of geography and. Uh, also opens us up as an industry to uh, really look at the opportunities there as well. So, um, Peter, moving on, among the many challenges of your job is creating a technology strategy that addresses not only uh, REC's needs of today, but more importantly, the information, distributed generation, clean energy, emerging technologies, and advanced electrification needs of tomorrow. How do you even begin to tackle all of those points? 
Well, you know, I usually like to say I rub my head and I can tell the future, but unfortunately that doesn't really work <laughs> too well for me. So um, really there, there, there are a couple of steps that you have to think about. And what I always say is um, you have to maintain the core, but plan for the future. Um, mm-hmm. uh, our mission is, and I'll talk about Rappahannock specifically, our mission, you know, when you look at what we do is uh, providing safe, affordable, reliable, and sustainable energy solutions to our consumers, our, our, our member owners. And that drive is what gets us to say, we still have to maintain the core and we have to look at how do we ensure that the core is not, um, it does not fall apart because we're still expected to uh, provide that. But at the same time, we have to evaluate and say, where do we, where can we see the industry going? So let me take, let me use one example. Uh, let's think of distributed generation um, as, as a good example. Our perspective, we're distribution uh, utility. And, and in fact, um, if we have, um, uh, you know, our job is actually more to think of it as how do we manage the electrons that go through our system and not necessarily worry about where the electrons come from. So if the electrons come mm-hmm. from our uh, generation and transmission provider, great. If they come from behind the meter, great. Our job is to make sure that they can flow and and, and meet the needs when uh, at the time when the consumer needs it. So when I look at that, I've got, you know, two perspectives where one, I've just got to make sure I've got a system that's up and running. Two, I've got to find systems that can manage and understand the flow of these electrons. And three, I've got to find a way to use data as an opportunity to manage how it's used wisely. So that gives you an example of the strategy that I have to apply when I look at different perspectives is to say what has to remain the core to make sure it's still strong. But these are the two areas that are thinking about how do we plan for the future. So that's really kind of the perspective that and that's just one example of the many things we could see in in our industry that we deal with every day. That's just an example of how we approach um, developing a a strategy for uh, for the things that we deploy here. And um, uh, Peter, I'm curious if you know, emerging themes like hydrogen um, are, are also on your roadmap of things to consider looking into the future. Well, I would say, you know, uh, hydrogen is definitely of interest and I, I think it has a place um, in the future. I think where I could say we're focusing a lot of our efforts today, especially is um, how do we roll out strategically the whole concept of electri- electrification of everything? And, and I know we've talked mm-hmm. about the Internet of Things and, um, and, and and as one component of our industry, but now electrification of everything, uh, especially mm-hmm. at a time when we continue to uh, transition our electric grid into a more cleaner um, um, with a goal of uh, being a, a, a clean grid in the future. How do we electrify this? And specifically, one of our key factors that we're, we're evaluating is electric transportation and, and e-mobility from every different sector um, that we could consider this and the opportunity that exists in that area. But this is where things like hydrogen really come into play. Because we know one thing for a fact is that as we think of electrifying everything, a big piece of how we operate is various ways to store energy. And if they're technologies that begin to make sense, we're thinking of them as a future because the reality of it is how we use energy today is going to be critical um, and, and how our consumers 
use energy is going to be very different you know, as we think of what the future looks like. So that's really where we're thinking of these technologies and where they play a role. Uh, proud to say we're um, the first electric co-op um, in Virginia to launch, uh, to, to go online with a utility scale battery. Um, this battery can power a thousand homes um, for about eight hours. Um, at a time, and um, but it 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 has several different use cases, including uh, helping us not to have to build out more, you know, uh, more on our system. It's allowing us to manage some of our peaks when we need to, and things like that. And so, that's kind of where we see some of these technologies and where we could go um, as, as we look at the future and the technologies um, in our industry. Very cool. So that all sounds very challenging and interesting. Um, as, as just as it is. So how, how has the COVID-19 pandemic changed the game for you in terms of customer behavior, customer expectations, and the technology that is in use? So first of all, I have to say to everyone, I give you advice, do not change jobs in the middle of a pandemic. I began last July in at Rappahannock for just uh, almost exactly in a few weeks will be one year. And uh, that's been an interesting challenge where, you know, uh, we've got 440 strong employees uh, at the co-op and uh, many other contractors. And I haven't seen, you know, but maybe five percent of them or so uh in the time so that's a big challenge to begin with but what we really see is we've seen a shift in terms of uh more and more residential usage we're already big on residential side of it um but what we've begun to really talk about is why reliability is so critical so the pandemic has really taught us the fact that more and more people will walk from home uh more schooling mm. will happen from home so if what if reliability is not strong, if we don't have the technologies to help with that, um, then we, we do recognize that there's a big challenge in, in meeting our consumer needs. And so there are two factors. One, ensure that reliability is high, but two, can we help our consumers understand how to consume energy in the right way? And so, uh, yes, I know you're working from home, but maybe do laundry later on at night uh, rather than mm. in the middle of the day. Because it's easy to say in between meetings, let me just throw laundry into um, into the washer or let me do this and this. And so, you know, it's on us to really begin to help our consumers. And, and, and I will say this, I think one of the key elements of what our future looks like will be uh, looking at um, behavioral um, the, the consumer's behavior and how we can help the consumer um, understand the role of electricity. It's the same analogy if you look at when um, I'm old enough to remember when I had a pager and then went on to getting a cell phone with, you know, mm -hmm. 300 mm -hmm. minutes and, you know, 100 text messages. And so, you know, the behavior was wait until 9 p.m. So 8.59, I'm sitting there to make a call, right? And, <laughs> and, and you know, 9 p.m. and then I'm on the phone for, you know, eight hours. Like, why did I even have to be on the phone? But it, it, it drove the behavior. Today, I don't even have to think twice about it. In fact, the reality of it is I don't even make as many calls because I've now mm. found other ways to use uh, for communication, and that's I'd rather just text, and it's quick, it's straight to the point. So, can we look at how we could shift the behavior of consumers to get them to consume at the right time 
where it's a benefit for them and it's a benefit for us as a as the utility. And and I go back to our core of who we are uh, as an electric cooperative. We're a consumer-owned electric co-op, and so that just gives you an idea of why this to me is such a great opportunity to be able to find a way to help the consumers transition into uh, a wiser, more efficient usage of electricity. And and the pandemic has just accelerated that piece of it. Absolutely. And especially, Peter, as as we see more and more of these Teslas and other electric vehicles, I was just in the mall the other day, I saw one from Volvo. Um, so I, I think it's going to be it's going to become even more important, uh, as you're saying, to look at how better could we manage um, uh, not just the expectations of customers, but also the load itself, um, as, as we're going to see uh, variations and changes in, in that as well. So, so well, Peter, in our last... Go, go ahead. Let me add just one little comment to that. Um, what's interesting is, so I've, uh, I'm an electric vehicle driver, and um, I, I just looked at my total uh, uh, battery uh, usage and compared to my total miles. And 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 if I really did the math based on residential rates, um, having put about 7,200 miles on it, uh, my cost has only been about 20, uh, $240. Um, there's no way uh, an wow. internal combustion engine will give you 7,000 miles for about, you know, for 200 or so yeah, dollars, right? Yeah. So when yeah. consumers begin to understand that, the shift will happen extremely fast in terms right, of that. Right. And that's what we have to prepare both on their end as well as on our end for our systems to be able to manage it. So so may we ask, Peter, what uh, what are the electric wheels that you're driving? I drive a Tesla uh, Model 3. Cool. Cool. Very cool. Um, yeah. And, you know, spot on and especially, you know, we, we may even see it get even more accelerated, um, given the increase in fuel prices that we're seeing. And I just saw reports the other day that there's even talk of, uh, oil hitting a hundred dollar, a hundred dollars a barrel again. So very, very interesting times. Uh, Peter, uh, in our, in our last episode with Ahad Ismailian from Avangrid, uh, we talked extensively about digital grids behind the meter devices and the internet of things. How does the geography of the area you serve create challenges in executing on these elements of the energy transition? So I will say this, first of all, if you haven't been to Virginia, Central Virginia is one of the most beautiful places, uh, uh, the Shenandoah uh, Mountains and the, just the Blue Ridge Mountains. It's beautiful. We've got a great territory that we serve, uh, but it's also a challenge. Uh, we've got very urban areas and we've got very rural areas. A key thing and a key challenge for us is actual uh, the capability of communications, and, and that's primarily on the broadband side of it. Um, we are doing some things to help facilitate some of that, but that's a challenge because at the end of the day, if I want a device that can communicate fast enough to be able to provide the solution I need, I need to have the communications infrastructure. And if that's lacking, that creates a, a challenge for me to be able to know that I could reach that person who in some cases, we've got one meter to a mile. And also some of these areas are just extremely difficult to build through. I mean, we've got, um, you know, national parks kind of cutting through our territory and things like that. And so where we see some of these challenges is um, the, the the more and more and, and glad to see from uh, the federal side of it to the state level, to the county level, a big push 
for uh, for getting rural broadband and, and those who are uh, underserved and unserved mm. uh, provided with that. Once we can, you know, the more and more we, we see that, the, then there's the other side of it to to really help the consumers understand how uh, some of those behind the meter devices uh, uh, will be beneficial. I'll give a good example. Um, today, uh, I've got a an LG um, stove that if I have it open, it not only just starts beeping on me, if it's on, it starts beeping, I get a notification on my cell phone. And the other day I walked away and about an hour later, it reminded me that the oven was open and and I was, you know, about, you know, a 15 minute drive away that it was it was still on. I had the capability because it's connected to Wi-Fi to notify me as a consumer. Now, thankfully, I was actually cooking something, so it wasn't that I left it by <laughs> itself. But you can see the advantage of being able to have that communications capability that now we can help consumers really understand how to utilize uh, their energy. And that's just one example. And so as we see more and more uh, options, everything, um, you know, uh, that's connected to um, the, the internet, uh, we recognize that access to broadband uh, will be a challenge, but also once we could get there, we could see more and more of these devices uh, rolling out toward our territory. All right. And, and Peter, you know, with, with all these changes that are taking place, do you also see the emergence of new business models perhaps as well for utilities? Absolutely. I, I, I don't think you can do business like you've always done and um, be sustainable. In fact, uh, one of the things I always say is, you know, I, I as much as I love the core of who we are, uh, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So, you know, if the industry right. is changing, we also have to evolve. And I can tell you where I see our industry, um, the the reality of it is, in my opinion, um, the consumer wants it as simple as possible, but also very complicated. That's the challenge that we face today is we've got this complex system. They have access, consumers have access to data. They're able to see a lot of things, so they expect a lot more, but they also want just to come home and turn on their lights. And so, right, right, and, right. And, and, and so how do you you know, take those two items and marry them, you know, part of it is, um, and I'll be one who continues to say, I see a day where maybe the business model is not based on a kilowatt hour anymore, but maybe mm. it's based on a service that you provide. Um, just like when I look at my cell phone, I pay one fee right. and I never have to think twice about it. And maybe that's what right. we get, but that will take changing consumer behavior, just like we turned around and changed from uh, spending eight hours on the phone after 9 p.m. to, you know what, I'll just text and I'll just get through this. Now, yeah. does that lose a little bit about society? Maybe, but I think that I could see a day where our business model is, pure, is based, I think you'll maintain both the traditional model, but I think there's another model that provides uh, the energy services and energy solutions side of it. Um, and that's one of the key things that my group is focusing on is what's the future energy solutions that we're going to be offering? What are those future energy services that we're going to be offering? In fact, what happens to that day when the consumer does not care about, about volume um, perspective, but they want to pay for resiliency? Right. 
And right. that's the that's where right. we as a utility have to really begin thinking about and going there. Uh, very, very interesting insights there and, and perspectives. So, so Peter, we love analytics and data here at SAS, and also at our uh, in our podcast, like Electrifying AI. So, how can utilities of all shapes and sizes drive data usage all the way through the utility? What will it take to make the most meaning to make make that most meaningful for your utility? Um, so, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. So the first thing that you might hear when you go to a utility, um, there's a common phrase, Doug, dumb old utility guys. We've always done it this way and we're not going to change, right? And so the first step really is a cultural um, change that needs to happen. And it's a cultural change where everyone understands the need and the use of data everywhere else, but until it comes to the utility and then they're like, but what do you mean? You know, in, in our everyday lives, you know, you get on Facebook and you recognize something that you were thinking about and you get an ad for it. And before you realize it, you're on Amazon buying something that you probably don't need. Right. That's all. <laughs> I just did that last night. <laughs> exactly. That's all data. Right. And it's it's so we as a utility have to accept that, that there's such a great opportunity in how we can utilize data. And so what we have to do is to begin to make very data driven decisions to say this is. I've looked at the last five years, these are the trends that I've seen, and how do I transition to creating a program that does X, Y, and Z, you know? And, and so, but the first piece of how we've got to get there is we've got to get the culture change. Secondly, we've got to begin to invest in the systems that can handle the data. Today, um, you know, uh, if you ask me to take a guess, based on the data that's available, how much we utilize it, um, as a utility, I would say probably not more than 10%. Because one, mm. we probably have legacy systems that could not handle the capability of what we could do with the data. And two, we've got, um, um, uh, you know, we, we, we don't even know what to do with it. And so if we could address the culture, invest in the right systems to get to be able to utilize data, then the next step is actually being able to find that. And where I go with this and what will drive it is as we see the demand for more uh, being a solutions provider versus just a kilowatt hour delivery, that's where I could see this driving more and more to get straight to where um, we have to utilize data to get us there. But we'll have to address also the part that we do have legacy systems and interoperability will be a big piece of, of what we understand. now. Let me shift the gear a little bit, and I'm not sure if you're going to go here or not. The other challenge that you know we see with this is the privacy side of it, and 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 I'll I'll go there with it is the cybersecurity side of it, right? Because mm -hmm. it could cripple you from doing anything with data because of the concerns of cyber. So we've got to have a culture that can welcome the use of data, but also finding a way to ensure that we're protected. Um, the amount of you know, ransom attacks that we're seeing on any given day, it's alarming, but it also should not be the thing that stops us from being able to do uh, what we need to uh, in terms of data. No, th those are excellent points. L let me add one more thing when we talk about culture, where we also have to change a little bit of our thinking when we think of data will be, how do we address um, 
the the the, the non-traditional way of thinking and i'll give the example of you know as a utility you have a customer service rep for example who you know traditionally may just answer the phone when a consumer calls we have to think a little bit different on those roles and and how we change uh, data is driving us a little bit differently so where we mm-hmm. have to think differently is how do we take those roles how do we transition them to provide um the the right kind of service and maybe that person also spends time on chat maybe that person is also a data analyst and it can mm-hmm. look and assess and look at different things and so there's a part of the culture to really get data to be utilized that we've got to also begin to think about our jobs a little bit different um because data is driving everything that we do our roles just the typical distribution designer for example now has to factor in a data component in their job and and that's a cultural change that we'll have to think about as we move forward to uh bring a lot more data into into our systems very interesting perspective there as well uh peter this has been an amazing conversation uh, thank you so much for your insights and, and and your 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 time uh here's a reminder for our listeners that they can join the large community that you've created on linkedin uh, folks can just go to pmuhoro.com and that will take them straight to your linkedin page peter is also on twitter at pmuhoro so uh, you can also follow him there as well. So, Peter, uh, here's one last curveball, um, and I promise this will be the last one. Uh, we're building an electrifying AI playlist on Spotify during the season two, and you get to pick a song. So we'd love to hear what's, uh, what's your selection and bonus points if it has anything to do with power, energy, electricity somehow. Wow, that's a, that's a tough one. I got to say I was not expecting that, but I will throw another curveball at you where uh, if you go to Instagram and follow the, what I believe it's at Washington Probs, there's a great video of an old couple doing the Nelly song called Dilemma. So I would say, oh, yes. song, <laughs> and it is great if you can watch that karaoke because they are spot on, not what I expected. Um, so it's the last thing that I saw earlier this morning. And so you asked me a song, you got it. That's, uh, it doesn't have much to do with, uh, with power necessarily, but at least someone can have fun if they find that video. We'll, we'll, we'll take that any day. So um, uh, listeners, what song would you uh, want us to include? Leave your music suggestions in the comments or tweet them to me at The Electric Sal. Uh, we might just include your pick on our playlist and send you some cool electrifying AI swag to say thank you. That is all for this season and this episode. Uh, we look forward to seeing you again when we'll be back with our season three. Uh, thank you for joining us today. And, and thank you, Peter, again for, for your time as well. Thank you for having me. This was fun.